Hello, and welcome to Diversity Podcast. My name is Julia Streets, and on every episode, we're keen to hear the voices and perspectives of recognised champions and professionals from right across the financial services sector. Today, it is a great pleasure to welcome to the show Justine Luterrod and Heather Melville, OBE. Justine is Director and Leadership Consultant at the Centre for Synchronous Leadership. She holds an MSc from the London School of Economics in Organisational Psychology and a BA from Yale in Maths in Philosophy. And today, Justine works with senior leaders across a wide range of sectors, helping them to develop as leaders, drive organisational change and inspire and lead with authenticity, ethics and passion. Last year, she was named one of Britain's most influential black entrepreneurs by B.E. Mogul, which recognises the most influential and inspirational black business owners in Britain today. Justine, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us. Heather Melville received surely one of the greatest gongs of all time, as this year she was listed in the Queen's Birthday Honours List, entitling her to add the letters OBE to an already widely known name. A banker by trade, I should also stress that she's not here today to represent the views of her employer, she is notably the founder and the global chair of RBS's Focused Women's Network. She is also the chair of the advisory committee for the Chartered Management Institute's CMI Women Group and was listed this year and last in the Financial Times Upstanding 100 Executive BAME Power List in the UK and the US and their 2017 MPower 100 Ethnic Minority Leaders. Heather, thank you so much for joining us. As always, it's really important that the discussions don't run the risk of becoming too salesy or self-serving. And I do always warn our guests that the moment it feels like that, I will, of course, interject. However, it is important because, first of all, you've given your time to join us today, but also because there are no doubt initiatives that you are working with that can really make an impact. So we give each guest one minute to talk about their particular areas of focus at the moment. And I invite each of you to explain more about what you're up to. Heather, let me start with you. I'm setting the clock and your time starts now. I like to describe myself as a disruptive legend. One in business, two around the whole diversity and inclusion piece. For me, it's around not talking about creating diverse businesses, but doing it. It's really about bringing through the talent on all levels of diversity, but I really focus around BME and gender because they're the two areas that I think really are lagging behind. And actually, they're one of the areas, the BME, where people are quite scared to use the word black. And actually, given how much money they contribute to the UK economy, which is 34 billion, I feel that it's now time to really rank things up a little bit. Thank you very much. And you used less than 30, 60 seconds. So that, that's very impressive. Wonderful. Thank you. And there's much in there we will be coming back to talk about. Justine. Uh, you have one minute. The time is on the clock and your time starts now. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, and I guess personally, what I my connection with this is that diversity has been my life story. So my mother is English, German with a drop of Irish. And my father is Ghanaian, Nigerian with a drop of German, which is my last name. So for me, diversity has been a life journey. Um, two initiatives that we're doing right now that are, are interesting and relevant. Um, one is called Walk the Tightrope, and it's a program around the journey to power with integrity. And the other is Mindful Exclusion, which is an initiative looking at how power flows through organizations. So we're looking at this both at the individual level and also at the systemic level. Um, and I think that diversity taps very much into power dynamics. That's one aspect of it that we don't always talk about, but also is very relevant for business effectiveness. 
Um, and, and the final thing I'll say on mindful exclusion is as part of the research we've done, we've now interviewed over 150 um, employee network leaders, employee network sponsors, heads of DNI, and conducted what looks like the largest study ever on employee network leadership, which has given us really rich insight into what's going on in the LGBT communities, um, the ethnic minority communities, as well as the gender communities. So coming off the back of that, I feel quite charged up around uh, the change that's going on. Amazing. And, and we'd love to talk more about the, the research actually a little bit later on, or perhaps we could, we could help promote that research for you as it comes through. So, so let's, um, I mean, let, Heather, you were talking about the commerciality, and I think that's incredibly important, which is, you know, as I spend time with organizations about what's going to really drive change, it is around financial performance. And, and if, it's, if we start with a business objective, that is where people will wake up and realize there's potential or that they're leaving potential on the on the table uh, and that sort of comes into sort of questions around leadership but is this too simplistic an ambition i mean justine let me start with you i think that diversity is and continues to be misunderstood and it's very easy to misunderstand it because you get a group of people who are pro-diversity and a group of people who are happy to keep things as they are. Mm -hmm. And so it leads to a simplistic conversation. Um, now, what I'm gonna say that's a little provocative is that diversity on its own doesn't actually improve performance. Um, what happens is diversity increases the level of conflict and actually the muscles you need to work through that conflict are the same muscles you need for leadership. And those are the muscles that give you an edge and improve performance. So I look at diversity as more of a litmus test for what's actually going on in the culture than on its own, you know, just sort of inherently. And that's why there's some confusion in the results from the studies, where you see some studies saying that, yes, it does seem to indicate, you know, higher levels of performance and others that are sort of challenging that increasingly, some that have come out more recently. Um, and so, so I think that diversity needs to be understood at a deeper level. And we need to understand that unless people are willing to um, you know, actually engage with difference, um, unless people are willing to understand that they don't understand someone's value just by looking at them and that they have to dig deeper, we're not actually going to get the benefits um, of diversity. And we need those benefits um, right now in business because we're such a globalized, interconnected, fast-moving, changing, uh, you know, time. And, and across, I mean, your work with the, 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 the CMI, Heather, and, and you were nodding while, while Justine was talking. Is, is this your experience as well? You know, this, especially this question around conflict, which I think that, that suggests courage and bravery. Absolutely. So if I look back over the last sort of 10 to 15 years, I probably would have been described as maybe aggressive um, rather than assertive because I care very much about making change mm. in this space. Um, had I been from a different background, I would have been perhaps described as innovative. So it's about the language that's being used. But for me, the conversations I'm having right now, not just with my own business, but with businesses, with CEOs and chairs, right across the industry right now, is around the commercial value of this. We cannot afford to ignore 34 billion people who spend 34 billion in our economy when the economy is really struggling so much so actually if you just sit down and have that conversations with people what keeps you awake at night they're going to tell you growing their market share getting the best people and making sure they hit their financials right so the way to make this work is to link it together you know we have fantastic women that leave the corporate world because they're frustrated they're often described as, well, they're really getting ready to have children, so actually it's going to cost us money. But actually that talent walks out the door and walks into a competitor. You soon realise what you've lost. Mm 
And then worse, when they decide to set up their own businesses, they choose not to come and bank with you or to do business with you because they remember that experience. And by the way, they're also telling their other friends along the way. So now is the time, if ever before, to make this quite imperative. It's how we do business, not why we do business. So I guess the conversations I have with leaders, both in my business and outside my business, is I need to see this on every single business agenda. Mm -hmm. Because when we do, if we start a new market, and when developing new products and services, you will have a business update at every single board meeting about that product and service. How are we going to get there? How's it being measured? Where are the shortfalls? Actually, that's where we're putting diversity as well. Because actually, as an organisation and as an industry, the whole thing for us is around we need more females at the top. We need 50% females because we know that when you've got an equal balance of people that sit around the table, you get the best decisions. And actually, all UK corporates know that already. They're all nodding and saying, we totally understand that. Their challenges, we don't know where to go and find them. Well, if you look in the same places you've always looked, you're going to get the same results, right? You've got to start looking and widening your net and go to some of the most extreme places that you would go to find the talent. Mm -hmm. This year, I happened to be sat at the Women for Africa conference, and in there is a pool of female talent from across the globe. The Black Business Awards provides us with some 500 people that are either successful entrepreneurs or people who are at the helm of their organizations. And and I can't understand why the headhunters don't go there to look for their talent. So those are the conversations we're having. And that and that that's really interesting because that that's a that's a big shift. I mean, in the because because I mean I I spend time with organisations who go who nod along with everything you've said, and they go, yes, we know we get it. It should be on the board agenda. We've got a lot to deal with, whether that's cybersecurity, performance, regulation, whatever that is. We co- we completely get the point. But actually, as we sit and look at ourselves, we are either a little ashamed because we all look the same, behave the same, feel the same, or we don't have the courage. And we don't have the courage to take that that huge leap. Um, and, and are you seeing examples of where mindsets are being cracked open, where you know boards are just going, we've just got to stop thinking the way we've always thought in the past because it's just too easy. But yes, we recognize that if we want to achieve some of these business objectives, we need to have the best teams. Are, are we seeing some evidence of that? Well, one thing I would just add, and I agree with with everything Heather's just said, um, that's interesting and that's been part of my own journey, is that when I started off um, the leadership consultancy, I had no interest in doing diversity in my work. Mm -hmm. Um, What I discovered is that the reasons I could work effectively with senior boards and teams was because I had skills from being from a biracial, multicultural background. And so what's happened is the exact same material that has been responsible for rescuing whole divisions and and teams and creating massive emergency cultural shift is exactly the same stuff that we use in the diversity space. And so I guess my point is that um, at the core level, the thing we need to fix with diversity has implications way beyond diversity. If I might add, the whole thing around culture, that is the missing jigsaw puzzle. Because if you get the culture right in an organization, you get the leaders right. You get the leaders right, you start to see a real great change within the organisation. And if I think about the kind of people I'm having conversations with today, they are CEOs of organisations, both within my own organisation, as well as outside, and actually outside of the industry. And one of the things that I think is really important, particularly for CMI, is that we are looking at the whole piece around leadership and management. Because if you don't 
add this as something that part of what leaders need to do, you're never going to get the change. I had a conversation with a young group of graduates last week who I see are our potential leaders of tomorrow. And one of them, we were talking about the whole diversity and I'm using them as a steer And they said, oh, well, I'm not really sure about that. I said, well, if you want to be a leader in this organisation, you better start embracing this because the leaders for tomorrow, inclusion and diversity is how they do business, not why they do business. Immediately, they switched on. So I think it's those messages that we give to them that say to them, actually, this is how we are going to lead in this organisation. You know, I've, if I'm doing something, I'll go out to the business, I'll say, I'd like to have one male and one female nominated for this course, please. That's it. I'm not even going out and saying, send me a couple, because typically what they'll do, when it's something additional, we'll go and find two ladies because they always don't mind doing extra work, right? And then let's find a couple of ethnic minorities because they're very grateful to do it. Well, I'm stopping that and I'm actually saying, I want you as leaders to go into your business and find me two people, one male, one female, to come and join what we're doing. And actually what I'm finding is because you're saying it in that way and articulate it in a way that is important to them, they are so they're so engaged. They're getting it. Yeah. And I think that's how we've got to get the message around diversity and inclusion. We've got to move it away from this, it's an add-on to it's we've got to use business talk when we're speaking to people yeah, yeah. This, this is how we work this is this is this and the, and the culture piece is incredibly important because uh, i know when, when you're looking at and, and in fact actually heather you said at the beginning about you know where we are at the moment is you know london is one of the leading financial capitals of the world and yet the world is shifting around us you know whether we want to talk about life post brexit we want to talk about what's going on in the u.s at the moment and and there are many many dimensions to that um, and, and talent is coming from young people who don't frankly want to work in, I mean, I'm being a little simplistic here, so do disagree, um, you know, don't want to work in banking. They want to work at Facebook or at Google or in a fintech. And culture is something that we hear time and time again, where, you know, I don't want to walk at work in an organization that looks and feels a bit like it did a hundred years ago, but that's a huge, huge cultural shift for large financial organizations. So that's where I do want to challenge you because, and I am going to talk about my organization here because what we're doing is very different. And at the moment in the world of finance, we're bringing the world of entrepreneurs into it. And we've created something called the Entrepreneur Development Academy, which actually teaches our bankers to think like entrepreneurs do. And that is a whole different mindset shift in terms of how they think, how they work with people. And actually what we're finding is young people want to come and work for us even more. The whole apprentice scheme that we've put in place means that people are crying out to come and have the experience. And I'm saying to myself, given what the financial industry has gone through so, uh, you know, the last 10 years or so, mm. that is a huge shift. So I think what you'll find is that as bankers, we've had to change how we want to communicate, how we want people to come and work with us. And a lot of that is driven by the customer sets that we want to do business with, yeah, right? Absolutely. So once upon a time, you walked into the bank to get a loan, you had your suit and tie and your shiny shoes on. Now you're walking with flip-flops. Yeah. You know, there are venture capitalists, there are Googles of tomorrow. So actually that whole shift in how people work and how young people see us, it's about values for them. They will not work for an organization that doesn't have a strong values proposition, that doesn't have a diverse team makeup. The amount of people that say to me, wow, I've never seen a black person in a senior role before. And I'm going, look around, there are more of us coming through and they've never seen women. 
And we've got one of the first female CEOs at the helm of our organization. So that for me is the piece that really kind of shows that we are changing as an industry. And and from the, from the work I've been doing with mentoring, I think, and I think it's only fair for, for other financial institutions actually to give credit to that there are a number of banks that are thinking very similarly where they've got innovation hubs. And, but it is, and, and, I, and I talk a lot with organizations around, you know, if you're using agile technology processes, which is driving a lot of the entrepreneurship there, is if you look at the whole concept of failing fast and you look at how do you get the best team around a problem and how do you bring the best ideas that come from very, very different mindsets to solve that problem, figure out the direction you're going in, make your mistakes early and improve, improve, improve. It's a very similar sort of journey actually with diversity, which is to go, we have to think very differently. We, ha- we ha- don't have time to waste. And I think this is a really important point about, you know, because we can't wait another 10 years. You know, these changes have to come in now. And, and actually be able to go think like an entrepreneur, think in a very agile processes and, and find new ways of working, which is interesting. J- Justine, you're smiling. That's a good thing. Well, I guess <clears throat> things in the business world, while I think that diversity and this looking at all of this would always be important, it's particularly important right now. Um, and that's because things are changing. So um, customers are more empowered than they ever were before. So they don't just have to, because you're in front of their face, they don't have to go with you. They can do research, they can look online, mm-hmm. they can talk to, so their ability to be people who actually make uh, in, empowered choices is greater than before. And the same with employees. They don't have to stay with your firm. There's not the whole idea that they stay with you forever and ever. I'm um, in financial services, it's particularly acute because of you know brand and, and you know the financial crisis and all of that. So um, the employer, employer brand and customer brand have more relevance than they ever did before. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is that this whole piece around values and what do you stand for has real implications for your ability to have the best talent, to have the most loyal customers, et cetera. So that ties in directly to profit. Um, So that's one of the things. And I'd say related to that, um, there's a need for organizations to get uncomfortable just in general for the business world, because things are changing. They're changing really fast. And diversity is one of the topics that makes people very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Because in order to really look at, and this is where I come back to the surface level, it's easy to look at the surface level and I, I agree or I disagree. It's harder to sit across from someone who might have biases and engage with them Um, to the point that you can actually understand where they're coming from and vice versa. And it's even harder to be the person who may be talking about your own biases. And that's hard for all of us. It's not just um, people who are, you know, straight white men who have biases. We all have biases. Um, and talking about it is is uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. Well, and it's a very, very natural place to come back to it, at your point you were making at the very beginning, Heather, about language and about, you know, kind of reaching out to some ethnic minorities. And, and there is a lot of discomfort around how to tackle some of the language and how do we describe certain ethnic minorities and how do we make ensure that within the whole diversity inclusion that we are using the right language, which ultimately makes people very uncomfortable because they don't quite know what to say. And they don't quite know how to, how to sort of describe... Um, not only what the future vision looks like that is all-encompassing, but actually then how to talk out to elements of the community that are our leaders of tomorrow and actually are our talents of today. I'd love to explore that for a moment, if we may, about sort of your experience of, of working with ethnic minorities. And, and, and the, again, this may be simplistic, but what's their view on is this just, are they being talked at? 
that or are they being, being fully understood? And even me going, are they, feels uncomfortable because I'm like putting, I'm creating a box, which I don't like a box. But so, as a, but this is important. And I think a lot of people don't talk about this. Well, I guess I don't fit in any box. And so I have uh, grandchildren that are mixed heritage myself. My niece is mixed heritage. Um, I look at them being the best that they can be and I'm going to be the best that I can be. And if I think back to most of my career, I've been the only person of colour in that field and that strand. And that's been the biggest frustration for me. When I look around, I don't see any others. And I don't see any others because sometimes they feel, and I use the word feel, it's emotional, that actually I don't think I can do that because I don't see anybody else like myself. And, and I think it's very simplistic, the work that we've done around gender, things like having a woman on the panel when you're interviewing a woman, I think those things are quite important. It's probably a little more harder for them to go and find a person from an ethnic minority background to be on there, but go and field outside if you need to. Go and work with your partners, your customers, get them in to come and interview. I think the most important thing is not finding excuses anymore. And for me, it's around, I think that, you know, in the UK, the 12% of the total population is BAME, right? We can't ignore that. At yet still, only 6% are in total leadership or management roles. That is frustration frustrating and especially as many of those people go off like Justine and my own son and create very successful businesses where they're being seen as entrepreneurs of the years that means that the bigger organizations like the Googles like the Facebooks like all of those big corporates are looking at people like you to buy your businesses mm -hmm. to come into the corporate space at some point right. so actually we don't have an excuse anymore it's really about how do you make people feel inclusive so for me, when I go into a room, I'm not that bothered if it's Chinese, Indian, Asian, me, black, young, old. I've got a goddaughter that is a dwarf. And actually, she's got a bigger personality than most people that I know. And she walks into a room, you don't notice her height. You just listen to what she says. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we need to get to. We need people who have got these biases to start understanding. You need to use all of your skills, not just your sight, but you need to start listening to what people are saying. But on the other side, we as people of ethnic minorities, we've got a responsibility as well. We have to own who we are. So when I walk into a room, I'm a proud black woman. I'm not going to put myself in a box because somebody else sees me. That's who I am. Right? If you don't like it, then you leave the room, but I'm staying. And for me, it's about having the confidence, not arrogance, but confidence to believe in who you are. This year, I broke my foot. I then started to realize what it was like to be somebody with a disability and how you can be excluded from things, right? even get into your own building because you're on crutches. And so for me, it's around including people. So I just think I'd like to lose the word diversity mm -hmm. and really major on the word inclusion. How do we make people that work with us, feel included? How do we make people who we want to get their businesses feel inclusive? So for instance, if we have a panel, we have an event, why would we have a panel of all the same people sat on the room that excludes 50% of the people in the room? I've been to events where it's an all black audience and there is not one black person on the panel. Mm -hmm. I've also been to events where it's all black people and there's not one woman or there's not one white person. That's rubbish. That's ridiculous. So, Justine, let me come to you, to you on that point. So I think that um, for people who are from minority groups, just to sort of echo some of what Heather was saying, there's this sort of tightrope that people have to walk where on the one hand, it's very important that they are able to be themselves. Um, and there's a lot of research. Previously, the focus was on the LGBT population, which we learned a lot from, that when they were out at work, their level of productivity, loyalty, engagement went way up. And there's a metaphor there that's very powerful and goes across to all groups. Um, and so there have been studies showing, for instance, more recently, given world events, 
um, people who feel that they can't discuss racial bias and some of the stuff happening in society at work um, and how that affects their ability to engage at work and feel as productive as they could be. So there's a real importance for individuals and also for organizations to create the culture where people can be themselves. What I would add to that is that there's this skill you need in order to, because it's not as simple as just be yourself. It's you need to be yourself in a way that translates such that your organization can understand you. Um, and that's a skill that is um, almost a survival skill. When I work with um, minority groups, whether it's women or ethnic minorities, LGBT, building, building that skill of being able to translate so that you actually become a leader of, of, um, of understanding so that people actually gain awareness um, is really key. But that is a skill that all leaders need in a globalized world. So I guess my point is that no one in some ways is more motivated to learn these core leadership skills than people who are subject to bias and stigma. Um, and so the, the value that people who have been on that journey um, manage to sort of rise to the top and you know the value that they bring to organizations in terms of positioning those organizations for success is enormous. This is a perfect time to turn to my colleagues, Cynthia and Robert, who have been looking at what the industry has to say. So more businesses are signing up to the Women in Finance Charter. As of July 2017, 141 firms have now signed up. And a new study by recruitment consultancy Green Park has stated that the highest tier of management in FTSE 100 companies now includes the highest level of ethnic minority talent for years. However, 58% of FTSE 100 boardrooms still have no ethnic minority representation. So this is an improvement on last year, but there's still a long way to go. A City AM article that particularly caught my eye, which was released on the same day as this year's A-level results, referred to a 2015 McKinsey study which we'd also come across. It examined the impacts of gender and ethnic diversity on financial performance. The study found that companies in the top quartile for gender and ethnic diversity were more likely to have above average financial returns. And there were three key points that really stood out for me. Firstly, firms using blind TVs to nullify unconscious bias are leading the pack in attracting talent from all walks of life. Secondly, the city is built on meritocracy and therefore ability and hard work should count for much more than the colour of a school tie. Finally, in order to attract and retain the best talent, companies must adapt to the changing values and aspirations of school and university leavers. Cynthia and Robert, thank you very much for that. And you can find links to that research on our website, diversitypodcast.com. Justine, at the beginning of the show, you mentioned about this concept of mindful exclusion. Could you tell us more about that? Well, this is the other provocative thing that I'll say. Um, I don't actually believe exclusion is a problem. I think that it's misunderstood as well. <laughs> I think exclusion is necessary. So when you are putting out an ad for a job, you're only going to take one person. When you have a boardroom, it only fits so many people. When you're promoting people, there's one position available and lots of people who want it. So if we understand that exclusion is part of the way that business works, we can then instead focus not on including everyone, which becomes unrealistic and which leads to some of this backlash. Um, we can focus instead on how are we including and excluding more strategically and more mindfully and more strategically in terms of business performance, but also more mindfully in such, that, in, in such a way that people understand that they are part of the system. So ideally in an organization, if, you, if someone doesn't get a job, they should feel that the system is fair enough 
that they must just not have been the best one for that job. And that is the opposite of what most people actually think. Um, and the way this applies to some of the research we're doing right now with employee network groups is that those groups from the other side are, are inherently exclusive. And that triggers emotions on the other side of, are you shutting me out? And, and sometimes there's a purpose to that exclusion, but it has to be done in the right way. And the narrative has to be one where everyone feels that this is actually for the benefit of the whole. And that, that's really interesting because that comes down to um, a number. So actually, that, that links together a number of things we talked about today. One of them is about being really crystal clear in terms of objectives and what we're trying to achieve commercially, what we're trying to achieve in terms of our, our commercial intention, and about how we serve our customers with the best people possible. <clears throat> it also talks about kind of how do you build the, the best teams, but in a way that brings everybody together, but understands that if you want to be a high-performing team, you've got to step up. Uh, and also uh, avoids um, the potential risk of this overswing, which I also worry about quite a lot. And, and I hear a lot of people talk about, you know, kind of, well, we're just employing more women because we've got to swing that way. We've got to employ more people like this because we've got to swing that way. And actually, that's about saying it's about collective skills about a really clear intention and making sure that everybody understands that they've got to step up and they've got to be good enough for the job. And if they're not, it's because they've got areas they need to work on. Uh, and, and that can come across in, in many ways. Is that your experience, Heather? So I'm judging some awards at the moment, some diversity awards. And actually, one of them that came through from me, their industry awards, I can't say who they are, but one of the organisations um, is looking at a young man who's got ME. And he can only work for periods of 20-minute slots. Um, two days a week. And I'm absolutely overwhelmed by the fact that this organisation have accommodated this individual mm. by saying, right, okay, he works for 20 minute slots and then he rests because of the work that he's doing. Now, I want to see more organisations doing that. That's about getting somebody with the right skills to do a job, but they're not excluded because of disability, right? right? So the thing for me around, and I feel really, really quite passionate about having quotas. It's not about quotas for me because you will have people who want to make their quotas which are linked to how they get paid financially, right? Mm -hmm. So they will go and tap a few women on the shoulders. Come on, I need to get you on board whether they're the right women or not just so that they've made their mark. We'll also look for a couple of people from black and ethnic minority backgrounds to say, yep, yeah, we've got the big bounty here. I'm going to get a really double bonus. That's not what it's about. For me, it's around setting some targets. And with targets, you have some asp aspirational targets. This is where we want to get to. This is how we're going to get there. And this is the reason why we're doing this. Quite a lot of the time, it's a secret. It's a big secret. No one knows around about the culture in the organization. No one knows that they've got a great diversity policy in place because sometimes it's not been embedded in the business. Mm -hmm. Okay, and when it's not embedded in the business, people leave it to one side. So where organizations get really smart, and I say my organization at the moment is doing that, is it, beca it becomes part of the business agenda. So actually, when we employ somebody, we're about getting the best person and we, and we also role model that person, whether they're black, white, yellow or green, um, young or old, because we have actually had a diverse uh, group of people doing the interviews. Mm -hmm. So the outcome is fair. And I think that's what people have always struggled for. You don't know who's doing the interviews. You don't know if it's somebody's friend. You don't know if they want to bring through this gentleman because he went to the same school as me, so he's bound to be good, or his father worked at the same organisation. That's what we need to stop. What we need to do is make it 
open and fair so everybody gets an opportunity. There's three points. There's the whole leadership piece, there's the culture piece, and then there's the education piece. And when we get those three pieces all linked together, actually the world starts to feel and look very different. Fantastic. We, we could talk for a long time about this. Uh, it has been, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you both so much for joining me. Heather, Justine, thank you. This episode of Diversity Podcast was produced by me, Kieran Yates, on behalf of Julia Streets Productions. Thanks to Cynthia Akinsanya and Robert Pinto Fernandez for their insights. You can find out more about the guests on this week's show on our website, diversitypodcast.com, and that's diversity with a C, not an S. Whilst you're there, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all our latest updates. To be sure of catching all our future podcasts, subscribe to our feed in iTunes or your favourite podcast app. And if you've enjoyed this episode of Diversity, remember to give us a rating or review in iTunes. It all helps promote the show to a wider audience. Finally, our Twitter handle is at DiversityPod. Thanks for listening.